Hi, welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns podcast. We're your hosts, Lauren and Sharon, two friends, moms, business owners who happen to be in prison. This podcast is all about our experiences as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transition out of the career. A lot has transpired since we both took on new paths, motherhood, business owners, and initiatives to serve first responders and their spouses. Sharon and I always had a significant bond, and as life attempted to separate us on numerous occasions, we always found each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, or random texts just saying, I thought about you today. We both know there is huge curiosity surrounding the topic of corrections. And there are so many incredible stories just waiting to be shared. And we want this to be a safe place for you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. So grab a coffee, head out on your walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) Hi, welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. Uh, This is Lauren speaking. And today I thought it would be fun for us to interview Sharon, find out all about Sharon Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) She just informed me that she has a lot to say. So buckle up because this could be um, a long one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She hasn't decided how much she's going to divulge just yet. We've got a few (laughs) more episodes planned coming up. So, um, yeah, so I'm just going to ask you some questions, Sharon, and feel free to share with us whatever you think is. Okay, that sounds important. good. Sounds good? You ready? Yeah, okay, kind just, of, yeah. <laughs> just tell us about where you grew up, how you grew up, where, what, you know, what was like the beginning of Sharon's life? Okay, well, I was born in East Africa, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. We moved to Calgary when I was two or three, uh, we lived in the hood in Calgary until I was 15. Okay. So so why why did you come to Canada in the first place? Yeah. Good question. I, I have asked my parents before because it's freezing and I don't know why, but it was like opportunity. They wanted a better life for us. So that was it. And my mom, so there was, my older brother and me and my mom was 21 or 22 at the time with two of us or 20. Yeah. Something like that. And another one on the way. Okay. So yeah, we settled in Calgary. Hmm. And you don't know why, why they picked it or they didn't, they know someone here. They, yes, they were, they sponsored to come over here. They had a choice between here and us, Canada and Australia, and they picked Canada, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. But that's how okay. do you feel about that, Cher? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm right now. I'm freezing, so I don't feel good about it. But yeah, cool. Okay, so you came to Calgary, grew up in the hood. Where'd you go to high school? I went. Uh, I went to high school at Father Lacombe. So oh. I did. I think grade 10 and 11. So when I turned, oh, Lauren, when I turned 15, we moved with my mom. So I will share that my dad was abusive to all of us physically, all of the things. So when I was 15, 
my, I went on the run with my mom and my two younger brothers. So we, we went to Winnipeg by bus and we left Winnipeg. I don't know after how long and ended up in Lethbridge. So I did part of my schooling in Winnipeg and Lethbridge and I graduated I can't remember where from, what school, does it matter? It's so long ago. Oh. Then I ended up back, we, yeah, I ended up back into Calgary. So it's a longer story that I won't get into now, but we ended up back in Calgary and I f- completed my schooling and post-secondary here. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. Do you know that? Yeah. But I didn't know that about you. I know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a sharer. So that's, Yeah. That's fair. That's for sure. That is very true. Not a share. Not a share. (laughs) Okay. So you remember that, like you were 15. So you know, right? Like, yeah, I was 15 and we, he'd gone to work and we left and we had like bus tickets. We took the Greyhound. It was, I don't know, 20 something hours. It was the dead of winter. We were miserable. We were cold. The schooling was different there. So my grade 11 and 10 didn't count. I had to start all over. It was hard. It was a bad time for us. No kidding. Yeah. Did you hear the beep? I have to get Did you hear the beep come through? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Oh, good. Okay, good. Um, okay. So did you know people in Winnipeg or your mom was just like, this is where we have to go? My mom knew someone there. Like a, a, my mom's in the um, hairdresser industry so she knew a hairdresser there so she went and got a job okay. there so that was the deciding factor this is yeah. going to I have a job let's just get out let's of just go yeah without anyone knowing like our family our friends our I like our staff we had to leave it all behind wow yeah <laughs> crazy it was crazy okay and then you end back up in Calgary and yes. you go to, where do you go to post-secondary? I did. I went to DeVry. So okay. at, I think, because I'm younger, I like to say I'm gifted. So I finished high school earlier, but it's really because I'm a January baby. So um, I went to DeVry because smaller classes, but at the same time, I had a scholarship to go to the University of Calgary to play soccer, which I turned down at the time I felt like I was too young to commit to something and I did DeVry so the smaller classes were attractive and I did business there because I wanted to be a cop so a good friend of mine her dad was a cop he was my mentor at the time he was like take management business because you can move up through the ranks faster yeah brilliant that's super smart yeah yeah so I graduated from there at 22. And what did I do? I just worked, looked for jobs, tried to be, tried to get on with the Calgary Police, Police Service. They had a hiring freeze. Uh, tried to get on with the RCMP. So that's the one I made it all the way through. Got to the end of all their testing and their lie detectors and physicals and all that. And then they also had a hiring freeze. So all of that took me up to about age 26. So oh, then I, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I moved to Edmonton and okay. my best friend was up there uh, doing her master's degree. So I went, 
went and my boyfriend at the time, which is funny, was moving up there too. So I ended up in Edmonton. I sold everything. I didn't have anything, lived with my best friend and tried to get on with the Edmonton police service. And I just couldn't, it just wasn't working out for me. I went to Peru at that point because I was reading at the, the Celestine prophecy <laughs> and there was <laughs> like a hike in there. And I wanted to do this hike on these, this Incan ruins. So yes. I went, yeah, I went for three weeks and I stayed for six months. So when I came home, I sort of ended my relationship, uh, moved into a new place, uh, tapped into my life savings and started looking for work, like a real, like a job, like a whatever job. So I was doing that for a little bit. I ended up meeting a woman, decided I wanted to be, well, try being with the woman, go on dates. Um, and I got the ad uh, sent to me for corrections. Well, it was called a primary worker. So there was an ad, there was an ad in the paper, a friend of mine was like, you'd be good at this. So yeah, I applied and it was the same thing. There was like tests, written tests, uh, interviews, physical, all of that stuff. So I passed all that stuff and yeah, then I went to, um, where did we go? Regina? Saskatoon. Saskatoon for three months worth of training. Okay, so here's my question. In 2001, like, is this like an ad in the paper? Because you didn't find yeah. this on the internet, right? Ad in the paper that somebody <laughs> like took scissors, clipped it out, and gave, like, handed me newsprint. So I read it. It was like, oh, my God, that sounds cool. It sounded like community support work or like uh, youth worker, that kind of thing to me. Right. Mm -hmm. but with women, right? I can understand that. I can understand yeah. what you're saying right now. <laughs> uh, okay. So this was never your like life's goal. Like when you were seven, no. you didn't write a poem about becoming a corrections officer. No, <laughs> I, who even knows what that is, right? I know. I, I had no idea either until I was quite a bit older. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know that was like a thing that I would end up doing for like a big chunk of my adulthood, right? Right. Okay, so you apply, you interview, you get the phone call saying, because I'm just going off my experience, you get the phone call saying you're going to Saskatoon on this training. Yeah. Okay, what yeah. was tra tell, me about, tell me what training was like for you. What was training like? So you end up in this like hotel room, and mm -hmm. I was one of five or six women, and it was like my particular training had these like older burly men and then young like 18 year olds so it was like who do you so I felt isolated I didn't know what the hell I was doing and we'd attend this training every day and they'd say this is for everybody except you two because there was two of us going to the women's prison which I learned then what I was doing going huh and we had to achieve higher marks yeah. And <laughs> because you and were it, going in to be, there's different levels, right? So you were yes. going to be, there's CX1s, which are One. for uh, men's institutions right off the bat. And they have to work their way up to a two. And basically the difference is 
one does uh, static security. So you have to be a one to do static security, but in order to do dynamic security, which constitutes CX2, um, you have to go in at that level. And because in a women's prison, you do both. You're, um, you're on the floor, you're in the houses, and you're um, doing static uh, control post stuff, right? So we had, as women going to women's prisons, had different criteria that we had to meet. Yeah. Yes. And we, yeah, so we'd have to achieve the higher mark. So it was like this intense pressure all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And then we sort of were like, uh, yeah, the person I was with, we'd look at each other every day and say, like, basically, WTF, right? What are, what are we getting into? And it was scenario-based training. Uh, I was not comfortable, like, talking. Uh, I have a softer voice. I don't yell a lot. I get my point across without yelling. So it was a lot of that learning to like yell, learning to be physical with people and that sort of thing. And yeah, you, you basically uh, have all your education there. You eat there, you sleep there. You're just with these people for three months out of your life. So yeah, I was in a relationship at the time, which broke down, of course, like during the training and you just cling to the people you've met there and you just, they're your new best friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I look back now, I couldn't tell you the names of ha- more than half of the people that I trained with. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you finished training in Saskatoon and did you know you were going to Edmonton institution? Like you, were you hired at Edmonton institution or you were like, they told you you're going to a women's prison. No, I knew it was Edmonton institution for women. Okay. And I also said, like, I I wasn't willing to move. Like, I had just sort of moved, so I was willing to stay there. Got you. Got you. So you leave Saskatoon, go back to Edmonton, then what? So when I got back to start the position, I uh, bought a house, um, but I was ending that relationship. So I had to sell the house and then started that job. And... (laughs) So when I started, we didn't have uniforms. We didn't Hold on, I want have... you to tell me. I want you to tell me about your first day. Like, what was My... that? Do you remember, like, walking into the gate? I yeah. can still hear, like, the clicking noise. Yes. The front gate opening. Like, what was that like for you? So I remember going there, first of all. Like, I bought, like, you know, a sweater from the Gap and pants, like, with pockets. Because I knew I need to have pockets in case. So I was in that type of an outfit. So this door clicks and I was in canvas Adidas shoes, gazelles with the three stripes, they're blue. And I was like, okay, here we go. So when I got there, you basically had on the job training, OJT, they called it. So you you shadow people. And it was really weird because it was women, like prisoners just walking around like, right there in front of you and they were just lived in houses so you and a partner went through each houses made sure they were alive you know they're murderers they're all kinds of different things so you just sort of grow I don't know for lack of a better word you grow your balls like right there and then right you just think take a deep breath you got this but in my training so the physical part of the training and I'm used to being really good at things that are physical like I grew up playing competitive soccer and I was not good 
at the training. Like I felt like I was left-handed and I'm not, and I was felt uncoordinated and I couldn't nail the training. So I was really scared of doing so like the self-defense, like the takedowns yeah. and the um, self-defense things, like how to, how to like get out of a strangulation, like things exactly. like that, that we were taught. So you sucked yeah. at that. Okay. I sucked at that. And I, there was parts of it. I don't know if you remember where if you fall, you have to do a break fall and then you roll back up. Well, every time I did it, it was backwards. And I'm like, I don't know what the, like, if I fall, I'm done. I'm just down. I don't want to have a break fall. I don't want to tumble back up into fighting position. So the guys that were training us were like, what the hell was that? Like constantly. So you'd, and I don't cry at stuff like that. I just go and I just try and try and try and try. So I sucked. So I was scared, right? To right. like, if the shit goes down, am I ready? Right. So right. <laughs> two months into the job, the shit went down basically, right? And I wasn't, oh, when we started, we were all divided up into crews. So right. I was on crew number two, which was a good crew because everybody had your back. You knew them. Every once in a while, you got stuck with a different crew who operates differently, maybe doesn't know you as well. And I was new, a new officer, and I was new for two years. So two months into the job, I came across my first takedown, and I was scared. But the inmate came right at me, and she was throwing punches at me, and I it just clicked. I did a straight arm bar takedown right to the ground from nowhere. It was like muscle memory. Right. Right. And it just happened. And I had her down and I had to go on my radio and request handcuffs because we didn't carry them then either. So right. I had her, <laughs> I had her kind of pinned down and she was shaky. She was drunk. She got mm. drunk off um, hairspray that had alcohol in it that she'd heated up to get wow. it to. Yeah. That's how it was a long time ago. So she drank that. So is, is that, is that when like, cause I don't remember ever seeing hairspray when I worked there. Yeah. So it was banned and this particular inmate was a minimum and she worked in our admissions and discharge, uh, saw the hairspray in there and pocketed it, took it home. I guess you heat it up and it's boozy. So she, that's what she did. Drank it. Wow. Wow. And it was just you all by yourself, no backup, no. It was me and one other one other officer who uh, come in two months before me. No backup, no nothing. No, yeah, no handcuffs. No, and I didn't know how this other officer was going to be. Right. During this, right. you know, because with my own crew, my partners that I worked with, I sort of knew exactly how they were. So this is where you're suddenly taking charge of a situation with two months experience. Right. Which is a big deal. Like did yeah. you feel, when you left that situation, did you have like a newfound confidence? Oh, I, I totally did. And a lot of things transpired. Like she ended up headbutting me accidentally. So my lips were swollen and bloodied. And then that particular inmate um, started to OD. So we had to call like, an outside escort to the hospital because she was basically dying. So it went on and on and on and on. And then the keeper or the correctional manager was like, after the incident said, I need you back out there doing rounds, like walking, making sure these, all the inmates are okay. So 
I was in my gap cords and they were covered in mud and my mouth was bleeding and swollen. And I had to walk back through hundreds of inmates that said, you took like all kinds of stuff. So that is where my confidence and you have to just be able to answer, like to say something back to them really fast or they know you're, you know, not worth it. So you have to have your things ready to say. So that had to come really fast for me, but I did feel, okay, they were right. That is muscle memory. They're not just, you know, a bunch of a-holes. They know what they're doing. <laughs> and I did, I knew how to do it. And I was very confident with every experience, which there was a lot after that. I was super confident. Because mm -hmm. I remember you being confident and I remember like, we would go um, and we'll explain how uh, women's prisons work because if you're a civilian, you likely don't even have the slightest idea. Yeah. But I mean, like Sharon and I would do a walk together or something and we'd just be like, start talking and the inmates would say something and Sharon would like, right, right away, she'd have something. And I'm like, <laughs> to say. but they, but they loved her. Like yeah. most of them were very much like, Hey, Fernandez, you know, like. Yeah. And, very respectful. And that yes. came with time, but they watched you basically. So it's a bunch of women in houses watching your every move and our shifts were seven days on with three off. So if you got your eyebrows done, they would say, oh, you had your eyebrows done. If you were wearing makeup on your face from the night before, did you go out last night? Like they were, they knew. Mm -hmm. If you lost weight, if you, you know, brought something different for lunch, they knew exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they totally did. They, they paid did. attention, yeah. Totally, it was a, it's a unique experience. Okay. So, uh, then, so that happens like whatever, 2003. Yeah. And you have like a newfound confidence. Okay. Tell me what it's like after this period. Give me some ideas of like, what went on for you? Uh, at work or personally or all over? Well, I think we're going to go through more of like a timeline in another episode, but like, just give me a broad idea. So you, um, you're confident. I know that because I worked with you. Yeah, um, I was. You, we were having like having fun. We were all like doing yeah, good. We were all, our crew was around the same age. Like we, so we all, and we were the only ones off. Like in your personal life, they say it's bad, but it happens. You become friends with your fellow officers. So at work, uh, my confidence grew. Uh, they were opening the max unit. Right. Uh, which they didn't have before because like it's a multi-level institution. So all of that stuff was happening uh, at the same time. In my personal life, I was leaving a relationship. So I was partying a lot, meeting all kinds of new people. We were always hanging out with each other that we worked together and we, we worked hard. We played hard and we were at work a lot. We'd get ordered to shifts so I worked. That's all I did. Like back then, the, the first two, three years of my career, I worked all the time. That's all I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the overtime money was like, yeah, yeah, like wicked. We were making it was. good money. And I remember yeah. thinking like, wow, this is amazing. But yeah. also it was like we were working 16 hour shifts, sometimes yeah. seven days in a row mm -hmm. because we were being ordered. We weren't choosing to work 
that yeah, many so you get this you get this huge check and you're like oh my god right so lots of my first couple of years there was tons of trips like i took probably three or four trips in a year because i like also your um vacation times piling up your money's piling up your like yeah like you but nothing's going on in your personal life because you can't do anything right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you could i i remember barely even having time to shop because we'd start at 7 a.m finish at 11 and like some of my meals were coming from like the local Mac store. Yeah, that's or, right. Right. Cause we didn't have anything. I, we there had, was no skip the dishes. There was, no. you couldn't order in. It was like, once you're in, you're in. Right. So you can't leave. Yeah. Yeah. And you're ordered. So my, we had little like drawers. So that'd be full of like cans of tuna or mm-hmm. bread. Cause you knew if you got ordered, like you'd have nothing to eat for 16 hours. Right. So you'd, pack accordingly or buy from the vending machine or yeah the max on the or way beg home someone, beg someone for the that's coming in for that shift to stop at tim hortons and get yeah. you something right Some, like, anything coffee anything. coffee coffee <laughs> coffee yeah. yeah okay so that so i'm i'm just thinking did you you went down to the max unit at some point didn't you so yeah so the max unit i can't remember the year it opened but there was a, they were uh, forcing people to go down. They had put everyone's names in a hat and just pulling them out because nobody wanted to work down there, right? So I had decided with my friend, let's do it together. Let's go down there and then we'll work every shift together. So we did that. So I went to the max, I think like my first full year in or my second full year in. Yeah, because I want to say Max opened 2003 because it was open before I came. Okay. Yeah, so I went down there and that was basically a complete and utter gong show. Like I saw everything. And again, you were ordered and you stayed there. And that there was how many inmates on there? 16 to 20? Yeah, depending on how many we had in segregation. And it was the worst of the worst, right? So uh, there's lots of stuff we saw there. Slashings, hangings, headbangings, you name it. We mm-hmm. saw it. Okay, so you go down to the max. Did you do, I remember they were making us do two full years. Did you do two full years or were you there longer or shorter? I think I was there longer. Uh, I think my, my uh, line mate uh, left the roster. So. Uh, in came the next person so we stayed on and we did i think it was 12 hour shifts and we did midnights and the 12 hour shifts opened up a lot for me so then i was able like i've always played soccer so i was able to um, outside of my work play uh soccer ball hockey we a friend of mine not from the jail we started like a organization so we did ball hockey soccer basketball so I worked I played I came back to work showered played that's kind of how it went right so that would have been what like 2000 I want to say 2004 okay no we didn't go to 12s to like oh when did we go to 12s yeah it was some kind of a weirdo schedule on the uh max yeah that allowed first I think that's what it was because I remember 
Oh yeah. I remember like it was still eight hour shifts. So if you were ordered, it might be for four hours and then you'd go and right. do your life and be back at 7am. Right. Okay. So you work the security net, then you leave the security net and go back up to the main, like I could say up because it's kind of like the basement. There's like a yeah. ramp that's down yeah, there. So I say it's like a basement. I say when you come up, when you come out, when you do whatever. Uh, okay. So what's going on in your personal life at this time? So I think I didn't come off or out of the security net until there was an incident with an, an inmate on there calling me because I'm black, like calling me the N word. And I remember I snapped, like the inmate didn't snap, but I snapped. So I was pulled off the unit for a little bit and I came back down there. And in my personal life, I was pregnant. So that would have been 2007 right? in October. So I continued to work on the security unit until I think uh, we got um pepper spray introduced and then i thought that won't be good right yeah so <laughs> i left uh the security unit around that time and i had uh a, like some complications right at the start so i came right off the roster and i started doing intake parole right yeah and you so were I, super sick when you were pregnant i was really sick like i barfed from the minute also, like I was inseminated. So I barfed from the minute she was in there till the, like I was still throwing up when I was delivering her <laughs> in, oh. in July, in July. So, yeah. Oh, I do remember. I totally forgot about you doing intake parole. Yeah, I did that. Fun. Did you like doing, <laughs> did you like doing I, parole? I didn't mind it at all. It was, it's hard though, because I had been doing shift work and then all of a sudden this wasn't. Right. And then you're working alone, right? So that that was different because there's no coworkers anymore. Right. You're just meeting an inmate and that's it and writing a report. Yeah. I, I, I remember I did stuff when I was pregnant too. And it was like, oh, this is so boring compared it to is, what? It is. It's really boring. I'm used but to. But it's, yeah, it's good though. Like, you know, you have you don't have that stigma of being an officer. So I could leave. I could go out for a bit for lunch and get fresh air. I could get a coffee. I could do whatever. Right. So it was different. And you then were like, I remember like waiting for you to go for lunch some days. Yeah. You're like, can you bring or... me back a coffee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, sure, because I know what it's like from the other side, right? And there's also like times there was like these incidents, and I remember being super pregnant going, I want to be down there with them, right? But you can't, obviously, yeah. right? <laughs> I, rem I remember that too, being pregnant and thinking, oh, what's yeah. happening? What's happening? Something? Why is everyone running that way? What's going yeah. on, right? What's going on? What's going on? Okay, so you have uh, summer. Yeah. Uh, so I had summer in July 12, 2008. Okay. And in my personal life at that time, I was in a relationship when I first started the jail, we broke up. I was in a second relationship while I was in the jail. So we were, when summer was one, we split up. So. So you had a year was, off. You took you had had a, a year, year off, off. Matley. Okay. What was and that like? That was awesome. Like it was so good. Once you get the hang of what you're doing, right? Cause motherhood, uh, 
you don't have to work, but it was awesome. Really good. It was, it was such a good experience. Like we did lots, like we were in Calgary, all, my family's all here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And once like we were in sort of a routine, there was no stop. Like we did everything. So it was good. Awesome. Then I took an additional two months off unpaid leave. And then I came back. And so that that's was like September, 2000. Nine or no, yeah, uh, ten, nine, no, nine, nine, yeah, around there. Okay, and you went back to CX2 work, right? You did CX2 work in the in the general population. So I was in the main building now at this time, and we were back on some kind of a weirdo schedule, right? A nine sixteen nine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, or you I could went, do twelves. 12. So 12s wouldn't work for me. So I did a 969. So part of that was finding day homes, finding childcare, finding all kinds of stuff for my little one. And it was good. Like it was hard, but it was okay as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we had lots of time off. Like we used to get like, I think a week off every five weeks weeks or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like we did a nine sixteen nine, and then we'd get like three days off, and then like three nines, four days off. Like it was, it was a it was a smazzle, but it worked. It was, right? like, yeah, totally. The good thing was with the sixteens is you couldn't be ordered to work, and you knew you were going to be there, so you were prepared. You were prepared. Yeah, lots prepared. of people. Yeah, lots of people would ask me, "Is that even legal?" <laughs> well. Uh, it doesn't feel legal, but it, it was, right? And we And were you and corrections officers in the federal system? Uh, I don't actually know a lot about the provincial system, but if you uh, I'm sure they're the same as us. It's a union. So we agree to Yeah, we agree those sorts to of it. things. We vote. Um, so yeah, so if you agree to sixteen hour shifts, you can work sixteen hour shifts. So yeah, it's kind of I know people would always say, What? And I when I moved to Camrose and was doing it, people are like, what are you doing? How are you driving back and forth? Right. Yeah. No, no, I was not driving back and forth. That sucked. But yeah. Okay. So you're back at the jail 2009 and general population just kind of doing your thing. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, coming out of a relationship, having major separation anxiety from my baby and all of that other stuff so as a woman there's not a ton of support like at your job for that like it was just like suck it up and work so the crew i was on of course super supportive like friends till today right that just helped me through that because it was dark it was hard but you just push and you do it right so uh i had a house too that was really like a seven minute drive to and from the institution and my support at that time was a day home and I had a babysitter so it was really helpful and then the ex which would help out in some ways so it was okay there was some support like not a ton but there was some support do you remember like going back to work going what why why am I going back do I want to go back what do I feel about this situation? Yeah, totally. But it's not, it, it's like, it's a, a career that defines you as a person as well. It's not just like, this is my job doing blah, blah, blah. 
know this was defining me as a person. I was a peace officer, a correctional officer. You put the uniform on and it, you just feel different. As soon as that thing's on, you feel different. Uh, yeah, uniforms came in, by the way, like as time went on. So yeah. you put that thing on and you'd feel di- like you'd feel different. Mm-hmm. So you were you excited to go back? And No. Okay. Okay. I was, I had major like anxiety going back. Like my, just thinking about my daughter who I just spent like, you know, over a year with and off. And I don't, and she also like was really crying when I left her at the day home and stuff. So it was hard until you both get into it where you're like, I have to go to work. I have to, like, it just, that's the way it is. You have to work, right? You have to work in order to support the lives that you've brought into this world, right? Exactly. So, Yeah. yeah. And so it was really good for a year and then we met uh my so my daughter's best friend but at the time the an officer came into the jail to work and we sort of clicked and our daughters were the same age and she said hey I'm moving to your area what about this day home so we had our girls in the same day home I think they were two or three so that was a game changer because she couldn't wait to get there and see her buddy mm-hmm. it was just so and we could uh rely on each other right uh if we worked opposite shifts like we didn't use the day home then i would take the kid both kids and she would take both kids so game changer right yeah when you find <laughs> that sort of yeah. support and that- i know I, I still call her my co-parent to this day because yeah we were in it together Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like, even now, I feel like when I moved to Camrose, I had my in-laws here, but um, I also have a brother and sister-in-law who had four kids and yeah. my father-in-law worked. So it was kind of like, uh, you have to create that village around you totally, and have yep. those people, especially when you work shift work or yes. like my husband works shift work. Right. So we struggled with like, I tried to start a business. I'm running my business. My husband yes. can't get home. It's like you have to have those people in well, your circle. Of, totally. And, and you have to cre- know. Yeah, we had to create that, right? Yeah. Because we didn't have those 24-hour day homes. Like it was like she's at the day. And like our day home provider was awesome because she knew our work too. So right. she had other people she could call or keep her there because you did get ordered, right? Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't say I'm not working. You say, right. I have to make a phone call because my one-year-old has to be taken care of, right? <laughs> and it sounds like so insane to me that that was like just the way it was. And I and before I was a, a mother, I remember thinking like, why haven't you, why hasn't anyone figured this out yet? I know. And I, and I remember moms coming to me going like, can, because there was a system for ordering. So you didn't get ordered every time. Sometimes you did. Uh, depending on who didn't show up to work that night or whatever. But I remember it being like, moms would come to me and be like, I cannot, can you please yes. order? And I was like, yeah, but I, I'll tell you something. When it comes to getting Christmas off, I'm not changing that. Yeah, that's but, right. <laughs> right? Like, I will take an order for a mom before I became a mom. I always like... Same here. Yeah, exactly. Or like sometimes if I knew, like I, my cousin lived in in the place we did, if he had her overnight anyways, I would take that order for someone saying, listen, 
next time you're you're taking it right yeah next time we're switching yeah, yeah we're switching so it's really good in that regard and sometimes like the correctional manager would say like i know that you can't but you're up like you've got to figure it out yeah and, and they so, would give you the heads up like a, at the beginning of the shift even like hey we've done the call out just so you know there's someone's three, getting ordered yeah. someone's getting ordered or three people are getting ordered and these are the top three people because they knew that in advance there was a system. totally and also like our jobs it's not like a normal job where you have your cell phone on you and you're just like can text out stuff you have to sometimes get relieved to go to your cell phone to make the calls that you need to make right yeah so I remember it's our so cell different. phone locker we had a locker yeah, you'd have to lock it in there you couldn't bring it in so then you'd be on some post and have to get relieved to get off that post to go to your locker to look at it to say okay I know my kid's okay because there's no emergency call came through right or or you know I have to figure out who's going to take care of her tonight right there they'd never order you and leave you stranded without child care they they'd allow you the time to mm -hmm. figure that out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I only had, I didn't have to do that very long thank god because that mm -hmm. was a big stressor for I know a lot because we were primarily female run. Right? So it was all females until, until I, came. I think, yeah, to what, 2004? Is yeah, that when well, you came? We had a, we had one, I think maybe two officers come from Edmonton because we had okay. that CEM that came from EI. Uh, okay. And then, then we, had we had B. Yeah. We had well, B. B came from uh, oh, the healing lodge. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So we, though, I think those were the only two males that were there when I had started and they yeah. just came. Yeah. So, uh, we'll talk about this going further, uh, in a few podcasts coming up. Cause Sharon and I are going to talk about like a time mat, uh, line about like women in corrections and, and how it evolved while we were there and prior to us coming just kind of like the significant things. Like when Sharon started, we only had women that worked at the institution that totally. no, we were not allowed to have male correctional officers. And when you think about it now, this is 20, like 2020. Like if you said that now, how has the world changed? Right. Totally. So it's like, how come men couldn't? So in 2004, I had, when I trained, um, I think we had four coming. Oh, right. Came with us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Four. Uh, we had male officers come with our training. RCTP so that and that was like interesting so you think about working only with women yeah in a women's institution Prison. right and mm -hmm. I, I remember we I'm gonna tell the story real quick because I think it's super funny we had a gentleman who worked at Edmonton institution like all most of his life uh, I want to say and he had like a few months left and thought I'm gonna go ride this out at the women's prison and just like <laughs> hang out with the chick yeah, yeah. and like his I want to say it was like his second day and his words to me were this place is fucking crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know it's funny so eventually I tr like I left women's corrections and I went to men's okay so let's go through that so you go okay you go so, uh you come I, back I, nine. um did you do a and d no. Okay. Admissions and discharge is what I'm talking about. There's a lot of acronyms and corrections. Okay. I know. Did you do VNC? Visits and correspondence? No, I didn't okay. either. 
I couldn't stand that that stuff. I couldn't stand going through inmate stuff like ew and visits and correspondence. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand to watch over inmates having visits. It's just a personal thing. I couldn't stand it. So no, I didn't do either thing. I I did straight. Uh, in fact, after a while, I would switch all my shifts to just day shifts because it's easier right. with the childcare. So I did that uh, till summer turned four. Okay. And then I took uh, leave with income averaging. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you describe that. You just sort of can take. It's like a teacher. So a teacher yeah. pays into like a pool every biweekly. They put some of their money away and then you can take that time off and you're paid, right? Yeah. They average your income so you can take a leave. You can take a bunch of time off. So, and in that time I was the UCO, was I the vice president? I was something on the union. So UCO is our union. I don't even remember that. I don't even either. So I was on the union heavily for a good portion of my time there. So when my daughter turned four, which would have been what, 2012, yeah, I think. 13, yeah. Yeah. So I took leave with income averaging because we, her and I left and went to Australia for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I have family there, but also I was needing a change. So I was thinking I would apply to prisons down there because their prison system is based on the same. So I stayed with my godfather and trying to check that out when I was down there enrolling my daughter in school different things but it just didn't work out the timing was off I came back um, just before Christmas I think I came back and I would have had Reese so I wasn't there I had Reese September 2012 okay so that's right around the time when I put in a transfer and in my personal life, I'd met someone. Mm-hmm. So I met someone who worked at the jail as well, but in like a different area. So right. we actually met, I knew her at work. I didn't really actually know her, but I saw her outside of work because of ball hockey. And I was like, hey, like we were playing ball hockey at a rink and I looked up and she was standing on her patio. And I was like, drink having a drink and I'm like that's that chick from work so I went over there and I'm like hey you know and we started talking and yeah we continued talking a bit and eventually it became you know something bigger than what we ever thought it was and I was I had applied to transfer to Bowdoin which is a men's prison in Bowdoin Alberta so what you had just applied because you didn't love it or you, because you knew that your partner was possibly moving? No, I had applied before she was before, like I had, before I met her sort of, I'd had a transfer in because I was done with corrections. I just couldn't. Uh, yeah. I was transitioning out. To and, be closer to your family in Calgary. Yeah. In yeah. Calgary. And so Bowdoin was the next, was the closest thing. Mm-hmm. So, and then my now partner, who was my girlfriend at the time, was like, yeah, I've lived in Edmonton my whole life. I want to change too. Mm-hmm. So she um, actually was applying for jobs before me and got a position in Calgary. 
So she actually moved first. Right. I, re I remember yeah. that. And, and I, she I, lived, she lived with my brother here. Right. <laughs> before I ever moved out here. <laughs> and the thing is like, I'm sure people are like, you know, there's tons of jobs in Calgary, but when you're in the federal system, it's not like you're not a remand facility. You, you are serving federally Ever. sentenced. So totally. federally sentenced means that you're sentenced to two years plus a day. Yeah. So anything above that uh, is federal. Anything below that uh, two years is provincial system and they're different systems. They don't coincide with each other. You can't just go work at Fort Saskatchewan for the weekend yeah. or sign up <laughs> to be do a weekend at the yeah. Reunion. It's a totally different ball game. Um, and, and lots of people say it's kind of like RCMP and city police, right? It's like, yeah. there's very different aspects totally. to both of the them. Philosophy is different, the whole thing. Yeah. So I didn't want uh, provincial. I wanted to stay with the feds. That was right. my, um, I, I always said, like, I, I was at the top of the mountain climbing my way down. So that means 25 years, I'd already done 12, 12 and a half. So I was, I was good. Like I was like, I'm going to coast at this men's uh, prison. Kind of like our buddy who thought he was going to coast. The other way around. Yeah. So we, we moved, we moved out to Airdrie. So we were staying with my brother. I was going to Bowdoin. So I was driving, making the trek to Bowdoin from Airdrie. How far is, is it? Far, how far is that from Airdrie? It's 45 minutes. Yeah. I was going to say about 45 So it's minutes. not, it's not at all bad. It's highway driving. Bowdoin is um, different. The, everything but that highway it, is shit, right? The highway is really bad. And it really was bad. really bad in the winter. Like yes. it's brutal, brutal. And yes. again, it was the 16-hour shifts or the evening shifts. So you're driving like at midnight home in the pitch right. black. And oh. <clears throat> the experience at Bowdoin was very eye-opening. Like it's very um, central Alberta, small town racist, sexist, you name it. And so when you're coming in there, you're a black woman, you're a gay woman, but you've got your time in, so you're respected, but right. you're also like an enigma, I guess. Like, who is this chick? And I was like, I'm going to show you who I am, so you better back the F up, and nobody's going to mess with me because I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yeah. I'm over it. You guys haven't even done half of what I've done in your whole career. So the first guy I met, I love him. I adore him. He, he also had the same amount of time in. So then I had made some kind of comment. Oh, well, you've seen that. And he's never even done a takedown in his whole, like he'd been there. He was a CX2 and he'd never even had an altercation. So I laughed and laughed and laughed because it was like, I, I can't even count how many takedowns, slashings, hangings, uh, taking people to the SAG, um, breaking up fights, uh, strapping people on this penal board, which we'll talk about in detail later. Like they were like, we've never even pulled that out. And they said, those takedowns, like our emergency response team does them. We don't. So my first day of at Bowdoin, uh, I was doing the rounds with another officer. So I didn't have handcuffs yet, but I had my uniform and that we, there's, guess what? A fight that I had to respond to. So <laughs> the difference was the, we got there, the inmates broke it up themselves. The one inmate walked over to me, he had blood on his head and he said, sorry, boss. And he held his 
hands out in the air for me to cuff him. And I said, hold that thought, bud. Like, I don't have cuffs, basically, right? So hold that thought, buddy. Stand right there where I can see you. And I, he basically walked beside me to the hole or seg. And that ended the incident. If that was at the women's prison, that would incident would have never ended. Like we would have gone on to calling in our emergency response team. That inmate would have been bashing their head in. And that was it. And they're like, we're now relieving you to write your report. I'm like, a report? Like, what would I even write? <laughs> Two sentences of how he complied, inmate complied. <laughs> and walked himself to the hole. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Oh, Sharon, I'm dying right now. It was so funny because I, I was like a crowd favorite because I had so many stories. And right. these guys had nothing. They had no stories to tell me. They had nothing. You know, once like there was tension in the gym, right, kind of thing. And I'm not saying like at the time that I was there, that was the climate. It's probably different now. Right. And I'm not saying there was no incidents. They're definitely 100% wise. They, have, they had an emergency response team. All of those guys on there, I love them. They were so awesome, fun to work with. And a lot of the guys, though, they've got their racist things to say, their sexist things to say, stuff okay, what like, was that. that like What was that? Like, I, I mean, even as being a woman, um, so I'm a white privileged woman, obviously. <laughs> I like, we, we have different backgrounds, right? I, yeah. I, whatever. But I mean, I, there was sexual harassment. Yeah. From... Yeah officers and whatever like I'm gonna say in 2004 it was a different way of being I didn't and I was like I'm a female in a male predominant career and I'm going to either suck this up or I'm going to cause a lot of heartache for myself and I mean some of the comments were like oh I'm sorry your Barbie uniform didn't come in yet because I was like I was tiny in the uniform they had to order me (laughs) Yeah, women yeah. didn't really exist, right? Like, yes. because women didn't have uniforms, so they had to come out with these uniforms. Do you remember the first ones? It was like tapered waist. Yes. So, like, my waist was so tight, and my hips were so bulgy. Totally. Like, yeah. I cut them for a Barbie doll because I'm like, no, I'm built like a ten-year-old boy. I don't. Yes. Need- Can you? So then, I order men's pants. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> we did. That's, that's what, what I was did. just gonna say. I ordered all men's pants because of that. Yes. tapered fit they had on the women's pants and you're the like the crotch no. was like 16 inches totally long. it was like this high-rise <laughs> skinny <laughs> it had to fit around your ribcage no i know either. and it's like no this won't do i'm ordering <laughs> and i ordered all men's shirts because i'm bigger on top too so i'm just like it was men's shirts so i you know you don't want to be like revealing in the skin tight uniform either right, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So did you deal with racism? Uh, I know, I know you did in uh, Edmonton Institution for Women from officers. Never officers, always the inmates. And then the management team that was, I was told you need tougher skin, you need to suck it up, you need whatever, but Mm -hmm. never, never staff members, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like never correctional officers, never parole officers, none of that. Right. So only inmates. Right. But still, that's... Oh, for me, for me, as a Black woman, I've been through a lot. So it's a tough, it's a unique experience to be a Black woman in a role of corrections. Because 
with all the stuff going on right now, which I don't even want to go there, like Black Lives Matter, defunding the police, like there's so much going on. And back then, that wasn't going on, but the racism was. So when I hear the N word coming from an inmate, I see red, I'm ready to fight. There's no um, other way to explain that your blood boils and you you're ready to go. So this, the first time uh, it was said to me, uh, <laughs> the officers I were with were so supportive and said, what did you say to her? This inmate, you know, locked herself up because she was afraid we were going to attack her, which we would never have. And the other inmate was actually an inmate on my caseload on the max unit that said it to me in front of an entire management group. And she went on to say, go back to Africa and make the monkey noises. So I went to the door, I demanded the door to be opened, the officer refused. And the manager pulled be cam pulled me off because I was vibrating because I was ready to fight right street fight <laughs> so <laughs> yes so then um that particular inmate came back to me to apologize and I just said I'm not accepting your apology a because you are a minority and you are also you know what that feels like so basically take your apology and shove it so I was then take it off the unit for a little bit <laughs> you needed us you needed to sit yeah you had to have a little simmer period totally which i believe so, is fair because i i don't like i remember one time i got these glasses and i i don't know if you remember them but they had like clear frames oh okay I do. and the inmates <laughs> made so much fun of me that the next day i didn't wear them and they were yeah. like, why are you wearing your glasses, Lauren? And I'm like, <laughs> because I can't handle it. I can't handle yeah, the mockery totally. that's coming out of your mouth. And I know that you're enjoying it yes. a little bit. And I don't, I'm not, I don't find that fun. And I, that's all yeah. I'm here for. Totally. And, um, and I mean, it's not even comparable. No, but, like, I, but I know what like, you're saying. Yeah. And, like, and you know what's funny is most of the inmates, um, they're like indigenous in our, in our situation. So they, uh, I was more respected because I was a woman of color. Right. Than I was ever, these, these are two, you know, maybe it happened to me five or six times where it came from an inmate, but for the most part, I was respected. Right. So I wrote, that I never happened. That. Yeah. That didn't happen often. It was and the inmates that didn't have that rapport with you. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. so, and the, the inmates that did have the rapport when they are out of control saying stuff, well, they feel stupid after. And it's like, you got to live there now, man. Yeah. Like that's the way it goes. I said, if you and I were on the street and you said that to me, I would have knocked you out. And you know that. Mm -hmm. And I said, so you said it behind like a, you know, the right. glass. A wall, shield. Right? Yeah, a shield. A shield. Yeah. Knowing that there was there, uh, my hands are tied in this situation, uh, yeah, right? I couldn't do anything about it. So Bowden, none of the inmates ever said anything. The staff members never said, hey, you, you're an N-word, but right. the, the content of uh, their conversations were not censored. So they'd say, oh, I went to blah, blah, blah on my days off. And there was this, you know, N-word standing there. And so I'd look over going, what? And they'd say, oh, you know, not like you. So it was that kind of stuff, right? right? Where it was just different. 
and sexist too, right? So I yeah. was one of maybe six women that worked there. Crazy. So you went from like predominantly female, yeah. all yeah. Female, female inmates to predominantly male, all male, male inmates. Totally. So wow. it was, it was good. And then I even remember like one incident where um, this guy said the incident was happening and he was, he was drinking a Red Bull and he handed me his can because he needed to, he turned to me and said, basically, can you hold this? And it was his can of whatever he was drinking during an incident. So my hand just went out instinctively and I took the can and threw it to the ground thinking, I'm not here to hold your shit, man. Like I'm in this fight too. Like I, if we're, if we're fighting, we're fighting. I'm not here to hold your stuff. Right. So, oh <laughs> so then he comes up to me after and he's like, I am so sorry. I don't know why I did that. Yeah. And, and I mean, in incidents like that, you don't know what you're doing, right? You're yeah. in a different headspace. Totally. Uh, and you don't know why you're reacting like that. Right. right. Too? Yeah. Yeah. And just oh saying my. like, here, hold this. Hold I this. think I'm going to, I'm going to take it on or I'm going to totally zero here. Crazy. Okay. So then how long did you work at Bowdoin for? Uh, I lasted at Bowdoin for just under a year. Okay. Why? What, what, what do you mean lasted? What do you mean? Lasted? Well, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like the shift work. I didn't like being away. Right. And at the time, so my daughter would have been five and a half. So she had started dance and soccer and lots of stuff. And she's very um, communicative, my daughter. So she didn't like it when I was missing stuff. And I didn't like it either. Like I wanted to be there. I wanted to do it all, right? And when you're missing things, like it sucks the life out of you. It sucks your soul. And what am I doing it for? Like a bunch of like Skinners at Bowdoin, right? So you sort of like, I was at the point of reevaluating uh, probably at the, around the six month mark and thinking, what else can I do in corrections, maybe parole. So I was looking into doing some of that stuff and I'd applied anyways for leave with income averaging. So I could kind of make decisions and yeah. So she, my daughter turned six in July. So in October she had a seizure at school. She was grade one. So they couldn't reach me at work. And so Summer had a focal seizure. So the whole left side of her body went numb. Uh, they couldn't reach me at Bowdoin. Uh, they tried my sister-in-law and then my partner. So they phoned into work at Bowdoin in the admin area who paged me and said, you know, uh, to Officer Sharon Fernandez, you have an emergency. So Bowdoin is like the length of four football fields. I was at the back and I went to the phone going, what? So they said, you have an emergency. Your daughter was taken to the Alberta Children's Hospital by ambulance. So I hung up and I ran to the front. Uh, I ran from the back of Bowdoin to the very front office. I went in there and I actually knew the officer in there from before. And I just said, I've got an emergency, I'm leaving. So dropped my uh, pepper spray and grabbed my cell phone and, and got a hold of someone and said, what is going on? She's on the way to the Alberta Children's Hospital. So 
45 minutes from Bowdoin to Airdrie. So I flew. I flew and I got to the Alberta Children's Hospital in under an hour. And she, when I, when I got there into the room, my mom, actually my entire family, so my mom and my two younger brothers were there, my sister-in-law and my partner. So I was, I felt supported and she was moaning. She was unconscious and just kind of going, Ugh. so I didn't know what happened what led to this did she fall they couldn't they couldn't give me any answers so i was in like uh a stab that you know the vest yeah so i was taking off all my stuff while i got there and i was talking to her and the nurse came in and said you keep talking to her because she was responding to my voice summer so i talked to her i rubbed her i held her i was you know uh i wasn't crying i always do the calm I always respond from calm. So the doctor came in and said, this is what happened at school. And they don't, she was throwing, it started with her throwing up and then she sort of like fainted. And then this whole like side of her body went numb. So when I got there, I could see her leg was okay. And her arm had was coming back. Uh, yeah. And they said, we need to do an MRI, all this testing. And I was just like, what happened? What happened? Like that was my head. Yeah. Um, I was with my brothers, my mom, my mom, my mom's a panicker. She has four, four of us and six grandchildren and she is a panicker. So it was just like calm, calm, calm. Right. And mm -hmm. I don't know how long into it. She, Summer just woke up and said, hi mom. And I said, you're in the hospital. Like, she said, can I have a hot chocolate? I was like, you can have anything, anything, anything you want. So yeah, yeah they came in and they, we had her, like she had some tests and they just said, like she's had something with her brain and MRI and a bunch of other tests. And yeah, we stayed there. She slept and then she literally woke up and was like, nothing ever happened no residual effects and no she hasn't nothing. had one since she's not had one since uh we returned the next day they did like the eeg which is brain waves to the head yeah. when they're sleep deprived and they saw abnormal brain waves so they diagnosed her with epilepsy at that time and they put her on medication so she's never had another one she's still on the medication now and that's yeah, we go once a year for all the testing again. So we had this year because of COVID. But other than that, like the doctor, in fact, wants to wean her off the stuff eventually, the medication and see how she does. But we're not doing it now because of COVID. I don't want stuff happening. And right. She's grade seven now. And, you know, the hormones, the periods, like it's like just leave the kid alone, right? Yeah, fair. Yeah. Fair, fair. Okay, so... You get the call at Bowdoin that, yeah. she, and you're, are you just able to leave? Cause I'm thinking about like my experience, like we, you can't just leave your post. Someone has and to I, leave you. And I just left. I didn't care. I just right. left. And so the keeper, I, I knew him from before Bowdoin and he just said, go to, yeah. but I, even if he didn't, I wasn't staying. Yeah. Of course. So I grabbed, I just grabbed, uh, you know, I, 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 
I had a bag and my cell phone in a locker. So I grabbed and left and I actually never went back to work from that day. Okay. So you never went back ever. I, ne I never returned. So I went straight on to leave with income averaging. Mm -hmm. And during that time I was just, you know, in fact, we were moving to a new house and the, the doctor had said, he's an amazing an amazing neurologist at the Albert Children's Hospital, but he said it could just be stress. You moved, you're living with your right. brother. She's in a new school. She just started grade one. I'm doing this crazy shift work. So we moved into like our house now and every, and she had our own room and her own stuff again. So everything seemed to just settle into place. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So are you, you retired, obviously. I retired. So I stayed on to the end of December and then I resigned from my, well, right. I actually phoned back in asking before I resigned if there was other positions and there was really nothing at the time. And I knew I didn't want, I couldn't return to shift work. Right. So I, I resigned. So December, yeah. 2012, is that what you said? I think so around there. Yeah. Or it might, might have been January yeah of the next year crazy it was so crazy because I I when you I heard you talk you're like oh I'm on that like downhill climb yeah so we all think of that right it's like yeah. we, that's our that's our headspace like just get me to this just get me and then it's like just get me to like year 20 right like totally we we have that mentality and I remember sitting at the front desk and we were all talking about like when we'll retire. And I was like, yeah, like in 17 years. And my head is like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to make it seven. Like Lord, you're, you're not going to make it. To you're, and you're not right. <laughs> no, you're not like, I know my personality and I know how much this place is affecting yes. um, everything for me. And I, so, you know, I, I've done a lot of research then I've spoken at a lot of events and I know like, the statistic for correctional officers, like Sharon, you'd be dead in eight years if you would have. I know that's what I mean. Like it's, and it, you know, at Bowdoin, like those, so lots of the guys that worked there were that they were older, like, well, I say older, but my, I guess 50 and they all had 20 years in or 25 years in. And there was a couple of guys that left and had massive heart attacks. Uh, you know, there was suicide. There was lots of stuff. Yeah. So, um, uh, the guy I met, we really connected. He was from uh, Drumheller. And oh, yeah. he was like, he had less time in, but he was disgruntled. And lots of PTSD, lots of stuff went down there. Mm -hmm. so I just like would talk to him every day saying, like, I know I'm not going to do this forever. I, I can't. It's not in me. I don't, I don't um, care. I don't have it in me anymore. Right. Yeah. I think we all kind of get to that point. It's just a decision if we're going to stay or if we're going to go, because totally. I, I know for you, you and I have both worked with the same people. So it's like, we know the people that should have left yeah. years ago. We know people that do this job seamlessly, right? Like totally love this job. And like, thank yeah. God for those people because you and I can't do it. It's just who we are. It's just the, yeah. the person not saying we couldn't do it. We just don't want to, we don't want to spend our life and throw Doing our energy that. into, into something we don't love. That isn't purposeful, right. For whatever totally. our purpose is. 
Okay. So you leave corrections, you resign, then what happens? So in within my leave, I think I'm averaging, my mom owns a business. So she said, you know, is this something you'd be into? Because it's like, it's hard, like to go from correctional officer to what? So to anything, to anything, <laughs> to, to really to, anything. You have to change the way you talk. You have to change your, the totally. way you look at people. The way you dress, the way you hold yourself, the way you everything. Yeah. So it's like, it is a part of you. So I just said, like, what I really want is something that gives me the same freedom with my time. Right. To spend, like, with summer, because that's, like, what all I wanted, right? To, to have the time with her. So I trained with her to be... <laughs> It's so funny, like laser hair removal technician. So that's what I do now. Okay. I own a business with my mom. So my mom is a medical esthetician and laser hair removal. So that's what we do now. And I've been doing that for five or six years. Yeah. And you love it? Uh, I don't know about love, right? Like, okay. what do I love doing? Like, it's, it's, that's a tough one for me. I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy working with people mm -hmm. and I enjoy some of the aspects of the job, but I don't, I wouldn't say this is my passion for okay. like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. What else do you want to tell us? <laughs> mm, I think that's all I want to tell you okay. for now. For now. You, yeah. you got to always leave them wanting more, right? Right. I agree. <laughs> we have... So the next episode, actually, so Sharon's going to interview me for the next episode. I'll tell you a little bit about who I am and my story and what I've been through and where I am now. And then Sharon and I have a really cool thing planned for about three episodes where we're going to kind of take you through. Um, we know you're all interested. And if you're listening to this, you've likely like watched like Orange is the New Black and like Wentworth and all of those <laughs> things. But we have some really cool things coming forward. So we've decided to like do a little bit of like a timeline of what women's prisons look like. Um, even before we started some statistical information, because we know if you haven't been in a women's prison, you're curious because um, it's very different from men's prison. It's also very different from what you see in like chicks locked up on Netflix or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> not to say it's like completely different, but it's very different. The Canadian system is very different from the U.S. system. Um, and then, uh, we have some other fun things planned for you. So, uh, the next episode, Sharon will interview me and then we will go through the timeline stuff with you guys. And we have so many cool things that we've planned. So I hope that you will stick with us. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you have a second, we would love a review. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns. And if you happen to know anyone else that would be interested in tuning in, please share this podcast with them. We greatly appreciate it. Love, Lauren and Sharon.